Well, boy, I'm, I am super excited about the potluck today. Are you excited about it? I was talking about the, with the kids this week, and they mentioned that this is the first potluck that we have had as a church since November or March, I think, of 2020. So uh, it is long overdue, and I am excited, and so I hope you brought some green bean casserole and some uh, meats and cheeses, and we will have a great meal together. Let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word from Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to read the whole chapter. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matthiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, Hashbadna, Zechariah, and Melchushim, Melshulam, on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Shariba, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kelita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah, the Levites, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. 
and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh Lord God, we thank you for the rejoicing that we have in Christ. We thank you for the word of God, which is living and active. And now we simply pray, speak, O Lord, for we, your servants, listen. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. These are word magnets. Have you ever seen word magnets? How many of you, I'm just curious, have word magnets on your refrigerator in your house? Anyone? Yes? A few of you? Okay. Well, as you can see, as you look, it looks like just a random jumble of words until you put the words together to make sentences. If you were to buy the happiness version from Amazon, your refrigerator could say things like, I live in a barefoot moment of possibility and surprise. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that make you happier just hearing those words? If you were to buy the kindness version, then your refrigerator could say things like a helping hand and a smiling heart. Make the world a better place. I think that's true, don't you? If you were to buy the dog lovers edition, your refrigerator can say things like, me like to roll in stinking things. which is perhaps less profound, but no less true. There are political versions and Harry Potter versions and grumpy cat versions and Spanish versions and Italian versions. There's even a girl power version where you can say things like, step aside, I got this, and stop leaving your socks on the floor all the time. I'm just kidding, it doesn't say that second thing, but it could, that would be appropriate. Here's the point. When I was younger, I had a really hard time making sense of God's word. I loved Jesus, I still do. I was a Christian, I still am, but the Bible seemed like a bunch of random words, word magnets, that made no sense to me, and I didn't know how to put the magnets together. One magnet said Moses, and another magnet said Jesus, and there were magnets that conveyed theological truths like justification and sanctification and glorification and resurrection and covenant, but I just couldn't figure out how to put all the words together. 
I think that that's how the Israelites must have felt when they came back to Jerusalem. If you remember the story, the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. And for the next 140 years, it stayed that way. No temple, no wall, no purpose. No joy, no hope. Just a handful of people talking about the way things used to be without any vision for the future. What was missing? What was keeping the people from becoming the people that God had destined them to be? Well, in a word, the Bible. The people hadn't read the Bible in 140 years. They didn't know the God who created them. They didn't know the God who had made a covenant with Abraham saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. And when you stumble, when you fall, when you sin, you will not give your son to me, but I will give my son to you. They didn't know their history. They didn't know God's story. They didn't know the law of God or the heart of God for holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. For the poor, for the marginalized, for the oppressed. That all changed when Ezra read the Bible. When Ezra read the Bible, Jerusalem became a city. When Ezra read the Bible, Israel became the people of God. It was never about the walls. It was always about the Word. The Bible has the power to change us. The Bible has the power to change our church and our city and our nation and the world. The question is, how does it happen? If you're taking notes this morning, we just have one main point this morning, and it's this. If you want the Bible to change your life, if you want the Bible to change your family and the city and the world, you have to receive the Bible the way the Israelites received it. Now, we'll walk our way through the passage, and as we do, we will see eight ways that they received it, eight ways that you can receive it too. The Bible is living and active. The Bible speaks the law. The Bible shouts the gospel. The Bible makes us weep. The Bible makes us rejoice. The Bible is all about Jesus. How do we read it? How do we receive it? How do we understand God's word? How do we respond? Let's take a closer look. Now, before we get into the list of characteristics of how the people received the word, I think it's important to realize that it is often said that the Bible is the most owned and least read book in the history of human literature. Now, I hope that that's not the case, but the data isn't encouraging. In 2019, the Southern Baptist denomination did a study where they determined that of people who regularly attend church, only 32%, less than one-third, pick up the Bible and read it on any given day. And among the group that they surveyed, only 12% said 
12% said that they rarely or never read God's Word. Even in faithful, Bible-believing churches, Pinewoods is a Bible-believing church, sometimes pastors like me can abuse or even neglect the Bible, either by simply ignoring what the Bible says or by cherry-picking themes and ideas that make us comfortable because they reflect what we already believe. So how do we become faithful Bible readers? How do we become faithful Bible listeners? How do we receive it the way that the Israelites did? Well, the first thing we see as we walk through this passage is that the Israelites received the Bible eagerly. They received the Bible eagerly. Verse 1, And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. Now when it says that all the people gathered as one man, we're essentially talking about 50,000 people who gathered together to hear Ezra read God's word. To help you put that in context, Yankee Stadium holds 47,000 people. So imagine a huge group of people the size of Yankee Stadium coming together, wanting desperately to hear God's word. And notice this, that Ezra didn't tell them to come. They told Ezra to come. According to verse 1, they told Ezra to come down from the water gate and bring his Bible. That's how eager they were to hear God's word. Is that how eager you are to hear God's word? When you wake up on a Sunday morning, do you think to yourself, this is going to be awesome? I can't wait to hear the Bible. I can't wait to read God's word. I hope Pastor Joel reads one of those extra long passages with like 400 names. That's how excited I am to read the Bible. Get in the car, everybody. B-Bay, Barkos, Backbuck. We're going to church. We're hearing God's word. When you read the Bible, do you really believe that God is going to speak to you through his word? Do you really believe that God is going to show you something about yourself that you've never seen before? Is the Bible your lifeline? Is the Bible the air that you breathe? If so, you'll be eager to read God's word. You'll be eager to study God's word. You'll be eager to receive God's word the way the Israelites received it. The second thing we see is that the Israelites received the Bible collectively. So first, they received it eagerly. Second, they received it collectively. Verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. The men came, the women came. All, I think all those who could understand probably refers to the children. They all came together to hear God's word. 
Now, as a quick aside, while it's certainly true that not all children are able to understand God's Word, that's why we have a nursery and we have children's church and opportunities to teach kids at at kind of a kid level so that they can understand, the ultimate goal is for everyone to come together so that we can together read and listen and hear God's Word. Something powerful happens when whole families come together to receive God's word. I think it's also true, given what Nehemiah tells us in this passage, that there's something powerful that happens when a diverse group of people gathers together to hear God's word. Old and young, rich and poor, black and white and Asian and Hispanic, single people and married people, God loves diversity. God created diversity. Look around at the wonderful diversity that he has created in the natural world. It will blow your mind. The Bible is all about Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news of great joy for all kinds of people. And so they received the the word collectively. They didn't just read on their own, as important as that is. They came together. And when they came together, their lives were changed. The third thing we see is that the Israelites received God's word attentively. Verse 3, And Ezra read from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And all the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Now, if we guess and say that early morning equals 6 a.m. and midday equals noon, then that means that Ezra read the Bible to the people, all of whom were standing, by the way, for six hours. Later, we're told that the Levites went around to explain what Ezra was saying, so it's possible that Ezra took a break while he was reading. But the point is, the people paid attention to the reading of God's word for more than an hour. (laughs) Which is generally the point where American Christians begin to turn into pillars of salt. Uh, During worship, their faces start melting off like the guy in uh, Indiana Jones, you know, once we kind of get to the 55-minute mark. So, six hours. Now, I say this in jest because this is very convicting to me. Uh, Sometimes I will admit that I get a little bit antsy when preachers reach the 45-minute mark, uh, especially if they only have about 25 minutes worth of material, but not the Israelites. They were like, keep going, Ezra. Don't skip the names. We want to hear it all. You know, sometimes I imagine myself having a conversation with Ezra, you know, uh, preacher to preacher up in heaven, and I'm going to say to him, I can't believe, Ezra, that you read the Bible for like six hours. How did you pay attention to something for six hours? And then I imagine Ezra saying, you know, I could see you down there, And I remember once you watched 12 straight episodes of The Office in six hours. So uh, 
how hard is it really, okay? You're three, hour, you're three episodes away from Netflix automatically calling an ambulance to making sure that you're still alive. I mean, that, is, that happens. Uh, so, again, very convicting. The point is, the Israelites were attentive. They paid attention to the reading of God's word. And because they did, the city changed. And their families changed. And eventually, the whole world changed. The fourth thing we see is that the Israelites received the Bible humbly. Verse 4. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. Verse 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. As he opened it, opened it all the people stood. The people of Jerusalem literally stood before the reading of God's word. They humbled themselves by elevating God's word. They literally stood beneath the Bible while Ezra read it. They didn't stand above the Bible, deciding for themselves what to obey and what to ignore. They stood beneath the Bible, making God's word the ultimate standard for truth. I read a story this week about the uh, old comedian W.C. Fields. W.C. Fields was on his deathbed, and his friend came in to visit him. He's in the hospital, and the friend found him reading the Bible. And W.C. Fields was not a religious man, and so his friend said, I didn't know you were religious, why are you reading the Bible? W.C. Fields said, I'm not religious at all, I just thought I would read this for a little bit. And the friend said, well, why? Why would you read the Bible? And he said, I'm looking for the loopholes. Is that how you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible looking for the loopholes? Now, sadly, I encounter people all the time who say, I am a Christian, I love God, I'm all about Jesus, but then say, except for this. I'm not really comfortable about what the Bible says about this. Now, fill in the blank, whether it's homosexuality or divorce or heaven or hell or predestination, whatever it is, I'd like to leave this part out. I love Jesus, but you know, the Bible was written a long time ago, and so I think we should take it with a grain of salt. Do you see the problem with that? See, if the Bible is God's word, and it is, then we're to receive it with humility. When I disagree with the Bible, God's not wrong. I am. And so we humble ourselves under the word of God. Romans 9 reminds us that God is the potter and that we are the clay. That's why we receive God's word the way the Israelites received it. Humbly. The Bible is up here and we're down here. Now the fifth thing that we see is that the Israelites receive the Bible enthusiastically. Verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and amen, lifting up their hands. You want to try it? Amen and amen, lifting up your hands. Good. This is very hard for Presbyterians to do, but this is kind of, uh, it's not ours by nature. But 
amen and amen, and they lifted up their hands. How should we respond to God's word? Enthusiastically, raise your hands, shout your amens. Now, some of this is cultural. There are some cultures that are more expressive and some cultures that are more reserved. That's okay. You have my permission to express your enthusiasm by smiling, uh, by nodding your head vigorously, uh, by saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, I, a little noise. That's okay. Church is not a college football game. Nobody here is expecting you to do the wave. But I do think that God wants us to be fully engaged as we receive God's word. The Bible should set our hearts on fire because the Bible is all about Jesus and the gospel of his grace. And the gospel of God's grace should elicit something more than shrugged shoulders and blank stares. The gospel is good news. And if we don't respond enthusiastically, maybe, just maybe, our Jesus is too small. The Israelites, having experienced the horrors of the exile, having experienced the consequences of their sin, having been brought back home to the city of God, knew God's grace. And so they received God's word enthusiastically. The sixth thing that we see is that Israelites received the Bible prayerfully. Verse 6, And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. In this story, the people prayed before Ezra read the Bible. That's always a good idea because we need the Holy Spirit if we want to understand God's Word. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. We need the Holy Spirit to apply God's grace to our hearts, which is exactly who He is and what He came to do. If you struggle with reading the Bible, if you struggle to be motivated to read the Bible, if you struggle to make sense of what you're reading while you're reading the Bible, let me encourage you to start with prayer. Before you read, ask God to open your eyes. Ask God to open your ears. Ask God to open your mind. Ask God to open your heart so that you can receive the word. Scripture itself promises that the word of God will not return to God void, but it will accomplish the purposes that God has intended for it. And so if you are a person of faith, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, ask God to make sense of his word. That's the kind of prayer God loves to answer. Pray the prayer that Eli taught the young man Samuel to pray. Speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. The Israelites receive the Bible prayerfully. Now, the seventh thing that we see here is that the Israelites receive the Bible tearfully. 
Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Why did they weep? Well, we don't know exactly, but my guess is that they wept because in hearing the law of God, they realized the depth of their sin. I think they realized that they had failed to keep God's commandments. They had failed to keep the feasts and the festivals. That's what the last part of the chapter is all about. They realized it's the seventh month and we're not doing what God's word says that we're supposed to do. Beneath that, they failed to be a city on a hill. They failed to be a light to the nations. They saw the Babylonian exile for what it really was, an act of divine judgment. They saw the rebel, the rubble of the city as a metaphor for their own spiritual condition, and so they wept. The same thing should happen to us as we read God's word. We should weep as we think about our sin. We should weep as we think about the sins that have been committed against us. We should mourn when we think about our rebellion. We should mourn when we think about abuse. We should mourn when we think about exploitation. We should weep when we think about injustice. Sin in this world and in our hearts should bring God's people to tears. The Israelites read the Bible tearfully, deeply moved. Do you? Now the last thing we see is the Israelites received the Bible joyfully. Verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The same Bible that shows us the ugliness of our sin shows us the beauty of God's grace. And so Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites said, no more weeping, no more mourning, rejoice, be glad, have a glass of wine, have some steak. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The God who redeemed you is your strength. The God who gave his one and only son as a sacrifice for our sins is our strength. The God who puts broken people and broken cities and broken families back together again is your strength. The God of all grace reveals himself in the pages of his word. The Bible is about God's mercy. The Bible is about God's son, Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And so we rejoice. In John chapter 5, Jesus encountered a group of very religious people, people who were very fastidious in keeping the law to the letter 
And he said to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. See, when Jesus came to this earth, the word of God became flesh. He lived with us. He tabernacled among us. That's a way of saying that the dwelling place of God has come with men. And we rejoice that we can worship him in spirit and in truth. When you see that, your heart will burn within you, which is exactly what happened when two of Jesus' disciples met him on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. When you see God's grace on every page of the scriptures, you will rejoice like the woman at the well who said, He told me everything I ever did. And he loves me. And he has forgiven me. And he has given me a future and a hope. The Bible has the power to change your life. If you receive it, the way the Israelites received it. So let me encourage you. Read God's word. If you have to take it off your shelf and blow some dust off of it, that's okay. If you have to download the app and you haven't downloaded the app, download the app. Take and read. And God will change your life through Jesus. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we truly thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for mercy and peace. Lord God, we repent and confess all the times where we would rather be doing other things rather than reading your word. I repent of this. I pray, Lord God, that you would start a new thing in my heart and in our hearts today. Hear our prayer, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.